Welcome to this episode of Sparking Equity. I'm Pedro Noguera, Dean of the USC Rossier School of Education. In this episode, we'll take a deeper look at the concept of equity, what it means, and what are the essential ingredients for implementing a successful equity strategy. Unfortunately, the term has become a controversial one in numerous school districts throughout the nation. That's likely to even be more the case during the coming election year. Joining me today for a discussion about this complex issue, I am especially pleased to have my son, Joaquin Noguera, with me in the studio. Joaquin is a professor at Loyola Marymount University here in Los Angeles, and we've written an article together called Creating Clarity on Equity in Schools in Educational Leadership. Welcome, Joaquin. Thank you, Dean Noguera. <laughs> so it's great to be with you, Joaquin. So, so in our article, we identified five areas that schools that they need to focus on. We talked about the importance of a coherent approach to delivering instruction, about ongoing support for teachers to build their professional capacity to meet student needs. We talked about creating a student-centered learning climate uh, where students feel supported, have a sense of belonging and trust. We talked about the importance of parents and getting parents and community involved. And then we talked about leadership and the importance of a shared vision. That's where equity's got to show up. It's got to show up in the classrooms. It's got to show up in the way we conduct the lunchroom, in the culture of the school, in the way we're disciplining students. Why don't you start by talking about why you think equity's become a flashpoint now? You know, I'm not sure that it has become a flashpoint, although I, I understand the question. If we look today at the field of education, it is a controversial topic, and we might argue that when No Child Left Behind was initially implemented and became law, equity was not as controversial. But I, I would argue that any attempt to interrupt inequity in a hierarchical society has always been controversial. As educators and as the non-educators, the public have become more clear about what the work of equity consists of. The notion that this is a zero-sum game, that is that some will have their needs met at the expense of others, has kind of been amplified. That perception continues to shape disengagement from education and fuel the controversy around equity. We live at a time when schools and the work of educators is seen as controversial, even though equity is calling for meeting the needs of each student in our classroom. As we've made more advancements in our understandings of what that means, what that must consist of, given the social inequity outside of schools, it has ruffled some feathers. So um, I, don't, I don't know that I would agree that it's a new controversy, although it's maybe a, kind of an inflamed issue. It's, it's more controversial than it has been in the past. The idea of meeting the needs of kids both the academic needs as well as the non-academic, the social, psychological needs, it shouldn't be controversial because, uh, you know, theoretically, that's what schools are supposed to do. There's no school in the country that's not supposed to meet the needs of their students. However, we've known for a long time that there are lots of kids, particularly kids who come with greater needs, kids who are Black, kids who are Native American, Latino, who are not well-served in our schools. And I think in the minds of some, the controversy comes, as you point out, this idea, if you do more for some, it means less for others. I remember when we were 
working at Berkeley High many years ago when you, where you were a student, everybody in this very liberal progressive community seemed to be on board about equity until we say, oh, what this means is opening up access to honors and AP classes and getting rid of some of these courses that lead to nowhere. And that's when the opposition grew. So how is equity different from equality or is it different? Can you um, explain a little bit about why we don't just talk about educational equality? And is it a term that is easily understood by most people? Yeah, I think people often get confused by the two terms. And, and the way I try to break it down so it's most clear is that uh, anybody with more than one child already practices equity because you recognize the differences in those children, their differences in their need, temperament, personality, et cetera. Even, uh, so I have five kids, all different needs, different ages. Every time we eat a meal together, it's an equity challenge because we have some who are vegan, gluten-free, some who eat a lot, some eat a little. You know, figuring out how to meet the different needs is what equity is about, not giving everybody the same thing um, because it wouldn't work. And that's true in school. It's hard in school because instead of five, you're talking about 30 um, in some classrooms and different kids at different places academically with different needs socially and, and psychologically. So it, it is challenging. But the alternative to having an equity focus is just treating everyone the same. And what that means, you're going to lose out on a lot of kids, which is what we see in many schools. We also know that we haven't really treated everyone the same throughout our history of schooling in this country. So what, where do you think resistance to uh, what you just described, which sounds compelling, sounds like reasonable, right? We meet the needs of our children. Where, where does the pushback come from in schools and districts um, today? So the one I see a lot is the parents whose kids are perceived as advanced often feel threatened, feel that their kids will not be pushed, not be allowed to excel because we're going to target our attention on the kids who are further behind academically. I think there are also educators who think that kind of teaching to the middle is, is equity. And I think both of those are off. You know, the, the real work is differentiation, personalization of learning, so we can meet the needs of all children. Your son, my grandson, Vicente, is is very eager learner. He loves dinosaurs. He's ready to learn all kinds of things. And he might be in a classroom with another child who is not as exposed and who has a more limited vocabulary. Both children need to be served. And so equity can never mean that we're going to choose one over the other. We have to figure out how to choose serve them all. And that's what makes it, I think, challenging. But anything less than that is going to result in parents uh, who are feeling it's unfair. Yeah. And if teachers can center the curiosity about each student in the same ways that you have about your grandchildren um, or children, then uh, I think we're in a better position to, to be able to meet equity needs. Again, I've been doing this work for almost 40 years now, and I still find it so compelling, so interesting, because when I go into schools and I see teachers who are figuring out how to get kids engaged, I know that this it can be done. We need to come together to mobilize, to, to get clarity, that work can lead to shared vision. That work can lead to shared commitments uh, as we make sense of the patterns that we're, we're seeing and experiencing in our, among our students in our classrooms. Uh, if that work is not happening, we're, we're mostly hoping 
for equity to be addressed. And while hope can be a strategy for interrupting hopelessness, it's usually not a sufficient enough strategy to engage diverse needs among diverse learners. Agreed. I think that um, when we have a clear focus on what's the most important work and when we center teaching and learning, then then I've seen over and over again we can make real progress. I've, I've seen teachers in the Bronx planning lessons together, and I, I asked them, do you do this all the time? They said, yeah, of course we do, because they recognize that having one teacher in a classroom try to figure this out by themselves is too hard, too complex, especially if it's a new person. So it is about mobilizing our resources, uh, working together, not being afraid to say, I need help when you're struggling, and hopefully having people around who can, in fact, help you. All of that is critical, I think, to making progress. So in, in recent years, we've seen more right-wing attacks on equity. Individuals who have hold titles like diversity, equity, and inclusion officer being targeted by the public or districts and bo- school boards being afraid of continuing the work of equity or even picking it up. How would you respond to those patterns? And what, what do you think leaders who are in positions where they're responding to that kind of attack on equity work in education How should they approach their work and how should they respond to these threats? So I don't want to minimize the the threat here. I I know superintendents who have been targeted, who have been threatened, had family members threatened physically. So I, I don't want to at all suggest this is not something that we should not take seriously. At the same time, I would lean on the law. The law says every school district, there's not a school district in the country that says you cannot serve the kids you have. What does it mean to serve them? Uh, One of the superintendents I work with who's in a very conservative district says, if you don't like the word equity, then let's just talk about educating all kids. And the the board said, okay. He said, well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure we're educating all kids. And so what he did was said, if if the term is what's getting in the way, then let's just focus on the work itself. And I would say that that's the way. In Oklahoma, um, there was uh, controversy because about banning books and not wanting to teach certain parts of American history. And again, some superintendents stepped forward and said, but we have a legal requirement based on state standards to accurately teach our history. Our kids deserve to learn about the Tulsa Massacre of 1924. It's part of history. And it's hard to argue with that. It doesn't mean that politics aren't going to get make this controversial. But I do think that uh, if you're clear about what matters and you operate with some integrity, that it's going to make it better than if you are wishy-washy and trying to find a path of least resistance. Well, I think you're describing examples of courageous leadership in response to maybe unreasonable or political attacks on something that shouldn't be so political, right? It's teaching, giving students, supporting their their educational needs. What about in spaces where leaders and the board have accommodated demands to no longer center equity? What can the community do? What can families, educators working in those spaces, how should they think about their work of supporting equity? 
In those cases, then it becomes a civil rights violation, and they're going to have to figure out how to involve the courts and, and, and challenge, because the, the courts have ruled that, that every child has a right to an education. The, the opposition is coming from two sources. One is coming from those, we might say, on the right, who fear and feel threatened by what equity will mean. But the other side is parents whose kids have not been well-served who are tired of districts that pay lip service, who offer good slogans but don't deliver results. That's also a source of opposition. And leaders who are unable to deliver results often find themselves under attack. These are leaders who want to do the right thing, but a lot of times they really don't know how. What, what gets in the way of them knowing what to do in terms of implementing an equity strategy? I think a big part of it is educators or leaders, rather, being out of touch with what's happening in schools and classrooms. This is also part of why we suggested that schools, district leaders, school leaders need more robust ways of knowing to inform their understanding of what equity work means on a day-to-day level. They can then develop a vision of what equity means that is responsive, that is relatable to these diverse stakeholder groups and protect that work. So I think a big part of it is about being in touch with what the work means, what it consists of, and, and what the people are experiencing. Yeah. So it's not just what they say, it's what they do. And 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 can they deliver results? Can they improve outcomes for all kinds of kids? And that's where I think many of these leaders struggle. The only way a leader can do that and not become overwhelmed is to mobilize, to mobilize and activate a sense of purpose in their community. Uh, but to think that that can be the responsibility of one person alone is putting a lot of pressure on an individual. And um, my hope is that leaders will also see they're not alone. They can't be alone. They shouldn't be expected to be alone. They should be mobilizing and activating those that they're working with. Schools get bombarded with lots of data. Right now, they're bombarded with test score data, uh, which show, again, the disparities. How do they move beyond the data to make decisions that are going to help them to improve the, the experience of learning in school for kids? Any sense of that? I know you've worked in hundreds of schools across the country over the years. What are your thoughts about how they use data as a guide? I think there's an overemphasis on quantitative data. I think leaders need more strategic, qualitative measures to to inform your understanding of the current context for learning and teaching. So I I think in addition to the quantitative data, the summative data that shows us what's happening from year to year and how students are performing on tests, we also need to incorporate the perceptions, the experiences, the attitudes, and the outcomes from diverse stakeholders by listening to them, by observing by inviting them to share their analysis of what they're seeing in classrooms. What are students actually doing? What, how is their time spent? How are teachers experiencing the work that they're doing? What is, what is coming as a result of it? So I think that's one dimension that needs to be better understood. Part of what I'm, I'm working with these district and school leaders to do is to, to be students of their communities, really, to understand what the longstanding barriers to student engagement, family engagement are, to directly target those things. 
but also to develop new partnerships, um, new services and support in response to more recent patterns. If we are looking at these communities with an historical view, we can see that there's a longstanding, let's say, issue of unemployment, or we have had maybe increases in the number of migrant families in a district. What are some of the needs of these families? If that is who our students are, if those are the communities that our students are coming from, just as we know schools are microcosms of the larger society, we have to be responsive to these changes, to these patterns in our, in our social and cultural environment. Thank you for that. And, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that, like me, and it's probably not surprising since we're related, you know, you're not content with just teaching about this at the university or reading and researching and writing about it. You're in school still. And I think that makes a difference because when you are in schools, when you're working with educators and seeing up close these issues, you have a different perspective than if you're simply at the university level. So it's great to hear you and see that you're committed to that work. Well, it's a pleasure to be here with you. And I thank you for the opportunity to be able to think and put our heads together. Uh, it's always a pleasure. My, one of my first teachers and, and my daddy, who I'm proud of. So thank you. And that brings us to the end of this episode of Sparking Equity. Our producer is Kobe McDonald, and our consulting producer is Stephen Smith. Louis Friedberg is our executive producer. Thanks to the Hewlett Foundation, the sponsor of this episode. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. Please subscribe to Sparking Equity wherever you get your podcast. Also, please send us your comments. I'm Pedro Noguera. Thanks for listening.